Welcome to the Leadership to Wealth podcast with Neil D'Souza. I'm your host, and we've got a great conversation for you. And the full interview is available on our Leadership to Wealth YouTube channel, where you can watch more amazing content to build wealth. Hey guys, on today's show, we have a special guest. In fact, he is a former gold medalist from the 1992 Barcelona Olympic Games. He shares with us the secrets of performance, collaboration, and conversations of trust to be able to not only navigate your business, your family, but life as well. Today's guest, Joe Jacoby. Remind me where you are today, Neil. You are in. Uh, I'm in. I'm in Canada. I'm in Ontario, Canada, just east of Toronto. Yeah, I, it's funny. I was telling Wyatt when we spoke. Uh, I, I had just some of my very best canoeing experiences up in Minden on the Gaul River, uh, just oh, a couple of hours north of where you are in a little little community up there. Is just that one of the up most in uh, Quebec? It's in Ontario. Oh, it's it's, uh, Ontario. Okay, it's really know. just north and east, uh, more yeah. north, but north and east of Toronto and yeah. a couple hours. And there's like two lakes with an amazing river channel in between. And they open up the dam and it is just some of the most kick butt whitewater rapids. And like what, What's awesome. the name of the place? The name of the town is called Minden, M-I-N-D-E-N, Minden. Yeah, you can see it on Google Maps, Minden. I'm just going to pull it up quickly to see. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, okay. And let's see here. Yeah. Oh, whoops. Directions. Here we go. There we go. Okay. And that is. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's. Uh... Oh my goodness. This is, um, yeah. Up by the Quarthas. Yeah. Quartha yeah. lakes. Yeah. Up there. It's okay. gorgeous. Yeah. And, and it, uh, yeah, it's not far from, uh, from where Wyatt is. Yeah. I, I think we figured that out when we were talking. <laughs> um, yeah, my canoe partner and I, we won, uh, we, in 1989, we won our first ever world cup race in Minden. Yeah. We had meddled oh. in a couple of races, but we had never won one. Yeah. And we won, we won in Minden and uh, we had meddled a year earlier there, but the river is just so good. It was so hard, but a really nice feeling uh, getting to yeah. paddle there. Like the real essence of canoeing, not these human made concrete whitewater channels, but like natural river out in the yeah. wilderness and it's just great all the athletes yeah. we didn't stay in hotels or with families everyone camped together that never athletes haven't camped at a race in years i mean it's right it's so it was great we had such a good time right that that's that's amazing um yeah, yeah. you know M minden ontario uh gets a shout out here and uh that that's exciting that uh you know, to know that for us anyways, to know that such great, um, 
you know, courses are available or we just call it nature, but, uh, yeah, I love that. I love the way you just said that we just call it nature. I wish more people in the world just talked like that. Like that would be a good sign for the world we live in. Maybe a good precursor to our conversation today, you know, about talking about, you know, disconnecting in nature. And I love that topic, you know? Yeah, well, I I lived uh, out in Nova Scotia um, on the east coast oh, cool. of Canada for a number of years, and there's a lot of um, we've got a lot of teams out there that that compete, um, you know, in the water events. And um, yes, sir, I used to love, um, you know, literally on my way to work in the morning, I would see uh, paddlers out there, you know, and they were going at it, and it was just a beautiful sight to see on on the water whether it was still or whatever they were out there in training sometimes you'd you'd catch um uh you know the uh the mist off of the water and they'd be in their training and which which is something you normally only see in a uh, movie or um you know in photos to be able to drive have that drive to work and drive by these guys it it was i love it beautiful yeah and and to know there's something important to take note of when it comes to an elite athlete as well, because the level of discipline that you've got to have to uh, be out there at those times in the morning and to be training on an ongoing basis, no spectators out there, just you and your craft, um, you know, and you're plying it each and every day. Well, Neil, I think you're really alluding to something important here is that, um, is it it does take focus it does take commitment but i think some of the things that you're alluding to i think sometimes that discipline can sound very extrinsic and very extroverted and kind of check the box and i look i know we know that can work for some people but i think that that process becomes a whole lot more rewarding and a whole lot more holistic when that motivation is also intrinsic that you know why you like the process what you enjoy about it maybe it's being with the other people maybe it's the process of getting better maybe it's the the time in nature but something that's not just going to be defined by like i did that or i won this color medal that there's this balance of an intrinsic and extrinsic motivation and i think mm. that I, I that's something i pay attention to at this stage of life with athletes not it's not a judgment but i'm always curious like who are the young athletes that kind of figure that part out earlier on in the process that balance of the internal and external the intrinsic and an extrinsic motivation yeah. yeah that that is well it's interesting my uh one of my daughters uh, used to compete in gymnastics and she had gotten she'd gotten quite well uh quite quite good sorry and um you know placed first in ontario uh, at her level uh, at her age group and um she was she was doing really well for uh for a few years and it looked like okay the the next step is uh to get her with a professional coach and start start moving to that and um and it was interesting because she loved it up until that point and then when that decision came to okay do i make the because the conversation became do i train full time and then school became um she would have to start tutoring and and things yeah. like that and and for her she decided you know what i i really enjoy it 
but that's not the level that I want to take it to. And, uh, and so she decided, and she now coaches, um, at a local gym here, but, um, but yeah, I, I think there is one of the things I noticed in her career was there were the times when it was just discipline and she had to yeah. apply herself. But for the vast majority, I think something that you're pointing to was she quite frankly, just loved it. And, uh, and it, it didn't occur to her as motivation, as discipline, as any of these things. It was, it was just this pure fun of let's get better. And I want to do all these amazing things. I, I think one of the nice things about a sport like gymnastics and, and I'm not underrating or underselling the team component of it, mm. but it's also an individual sport too. And, um, you know, I think it's really important to kind of find those reasons why you want to be there. And yeah. it sounds like your daughter had a really, for being such a young athlete, and I think gymnastics really cultivates this, but that awareness, that, that, that awareness of, of, of what it is, why you like it, that you're not just getting pushed up through the pipeline because you're good enough. Like there has to be more to it than just that. And I think when we see our children make these choices or they kind of figure out maybe they don't want to put the proverbial eggs all in one basket. Maybe they want to try it with like a little bit of balance, like maybe do some school or um, while they do some training or over here in Europe where I live um, in many countries, we have a lot of um, athletes are also soldiers in their military while they're training in the sport. So they're kind of serving their country and, and, and training and, you know, yeah, just giving back in that, in that service ways. In some countries it's, it's required, but they're also doing sport. And so they're finding that balance in that we as a society aren't just <clears throat> saying things like, Oh, well, that's a shame you didn't make it to the Olympics. Well, almost nobody makes it to the Olympics. And, you know, I, this, you get, you get into your forties and fifties and I'm telling you, you don't remember what color medal you won at this race. And I'm telling you as someone who won, you know, kind of the right color medal at the right race, like that's not what you remember. You remember the people you, and you actually see my favorite part at this stage of life is to see all these people that I paddled with that took what they learned from the river and they applied it to the life that they wanted to live, you know, the way they built family, the way they uh, pursued a healthy lifestyle, the way they pursued a healthy work-life balance. You know, it's it's nice to see that. And it's not just about that evolution of the climb up the ladder, but, you know, what what's that journey gonna look like for you that's gonna make you happy? Yeah, wow. Uh, well something i'd like to say about that when when watching my daughter go through that one of the things that i realized as that conversation as that conversation grew in terms of does she go to the next level what we started to see was that by and large it, to because that it's a sport that they start young and yeah. they're really you know they're developing and there were a number of girls that fell by the wayside just because their bodies were changing entirely. And, uh, you know, I remember one girl, she grew so tall that when she would be, uh, 
on uh, one of the apparatus, she would be touching the ground with her feet. She's flinging around yeah. and her feet are hitting off the ground. She just grew way too tall for that. And, um, and, and so what you almost see in those types of sports is that it's almost a game of attrition. You, you know, to those that are able to make it to the Olympic level, you know, they, they've kept their bodies together. They've been able to do all those things. Whereas some other sports, and and I'd love for you to talk about slalom, being a slalom canoeist, um, you know, is perhaps something that you were able to get into later and you're able to actually gain in your performance as you got older, as opposed to some of these other sports. Yeah, no, it's such an interesting question. I mean, I I did happen to pick up the sport when I was pretty young, and it wasn't just into racing, though. Well, wait, we got to ask that question. How in the world does a kid from Washington, D.C. pick up slalom canoeist? Because I didn't see too many, you know, white waters uh, there. Maybe they're around, but... Uh... I, I know this is going to surprise people, and in this day and age, I, I know that I... I, I, we, I might be talking to an audience, uh, you know, maybe more in Canada, but I'm sure there's some people in the U.S. I, I would never go out on a, such a limb, especially right now. And I haven't been inside the United States in three years, but um, that there's like an advantage to being born and raised in Washington, D.C., which I was. But surprisingly, very, very surprisingly, Neil, there is an amazing uh, Whitewater River that runs right through town called the Potomac River. And most people are used to the Potomac, like right where it flows past all the memorials and the cherry blossoms in that beautiful part where it's really flat and calm. But if you just go a few miles upstream of there, it is uh-huh. world-class whitewater, like big booming whitewater. And so usually, usually the best whitewater in North America, whether it's Canada or the U.S., it's you usually find it in more elevated rural areas like Colorado or Minden, Ontario. Um, You don't find it in a big city, but this is the part of that is that I started to paddle in the early 1980s. And at that moment, the sport was not on the Olympic program. So there was no money or resources from an Olympic committee that the biggest race was the world championships. But the reason Washington DC was so good that not only was there great whitewater there, but you had like a lot of universities, you had athletes that could have jobs, they could have a life. Whereas in rural America, that was much harder to do. Like you were kind of letting, you couldn't really do both. Like if you live in a very rural place in Tennessee or North Carolina or Colorado, it was very hard to, you know, to push your life forward living in a very rural mountainous area. I mean, it's beautiful. I've done both. But yeah, so Washington, D.C. was a really big surprise for that. And I got involved at a summer camp, a day camp in the Washington, D.C. area. And I learned to paddle on a lake. And then we qualified for river trips out onto the Potomac River. And I loved it. Like, I mean, it's like not not unlike a lot of kids that um, kind of find their right space when they're young. I was the first one in my group at summer camp to learn the Eskimo roll. So that when you flip a kayak upside down where you can bring it back upright. And, you know, in the world of like, you know, the status of 
10 year old, you know, group of boys. It's like to be the first at something. Oh yeah. I think I like this sport. I like this activity. I want to do more of it. And the truth is, is that the other thing that I figured out about whitewater canoeing at a young age was that unlike football, that I don't have to stop playing after high school, or if you're really lucky play at, stop playing after college, or if you're really, really lucky, stop playing after you've had a, a professional career. Right. And so, yeah, I'm 52 years old and I still paddle. I, I paddle the devil's canoe with my girlfriend, Maria, and we, we love it. Like we absolutely love it. And it's like, it's so nice that we can just go out and enjoy the river in a very kind of different stage of life and enjoy nature and figure out how we work together with a force of uncertainty, the river, and how Maria and I work with each other on the water because, you know, that's been a beautiful thing. Yeah, I, I just I'm so grateful for that, you know, for all these lessons that the, that the water has taught me over the years. Yeah, well, I think we here in Canada, we sort of take it for granted because we've got so many places that you can um, you can get on the water. Right. And I believe the first I believe the first world championships were actually held in uh, Quebec um canada and in uh, jonquiere yeah which which i know it on a map but i i've never been there myself right and i'm so so close to it but i i um uh, i knew that that canada is one of those places we've got so much elevation we've got such a vast uh country and uh that people people come from all over the place to uh to travel around and whether it be hiking whether it be um you know whether it be uh getting out on the water and uh i know that um there's certain parts of canada where there are certain towns where we actually have more americans uh that have homes there than we do canadians because you know the access to that kind of uh fresh water and and just an escape destination right so um sorry go ahead no, you know, Neil, it's, I think, but it's something that I think is really important about the Canadian culture and I think how it sort of relates to the world that we're living in today is that I, I certainly in my coaching practice, I see, you know, there are just so many signs of burnout everywhere. And to me, I don't, I mean, there are a lot of ways and there's a lot of forces that influence burnout, but as a solution, time in nature is, is a huge one. And can, I think can I just say something quickly please. about that? Yeah, because <laughs> I actually worked at a YMCA uh, for about a summer, just just a few months. I worked at this YMCA, and uh, because I was transitioning jobs, and I couldn't get it, I couldn't find this job uh, or a job in my field. And I was working at YMCA, and I wasn't getting paid much, but every lunchtime, I because we're right off the water, I could go hop into a kayak or uh, into a canoe and just go out for lunch and be on the middle of a lake, sun coming down. And so talking about being able to get a break, that that's where I would have my lunches. I'd even go out for dates sometimes. I'd, you know, we'd, sure. we'd go out on the water and go in a canoe. And it was, it was like, most people think going on a date or getting relaxing time, they're going to go out to the bar. And uh, here's right. the opportunity to go out and get a break right out on the water. So I right right with what you were saying. Please continue. Yeah, no, but I mean, I think roughly eighty percent of the Canadian population lives right 
on the border with the United right. States. All the big cities in yeah. Canada are right there on on the border. Yeah. And so, but then when you know you get up a couple of hours north of any of those cities, of any of those communities, you know, you find yourself in just some of the most beautiful natural land and and the culture values those um excursions up up to the north and you know the people who have small cottages on lakes or you know the time on trails the time on water the time on snow the time on mountains and yeah i, I think there's there's a lot of beauty and a lot of really kind of life just life lessons to pick up from the canadian culture and the thing is is that it's there but what I try to talk about with a lot of my clients is that it's also good for us to sort of reinvent how we define nature. That, you know, to have our moments, it would be nice to kind of get up an hour and a half, two hours north of the city. But if we can't, you know, it is okay to go to a city park or it's okay to just sort of pay attention to that leaf that fell off the tree in the, in the autumn that lays on the sidewalk or you know the tree or the flower or you know a, a creek and and listen to the sound of water moving it doesn't take much to really disconnect from these things that we're made to believe like we can't disconnect from you know largely our our phones our you know te mm -hmm. our technology yeah. um our you know this this ongoing uh asynchronous uh, communication on and on and on. And so yeah, I think we have to be really mindful of that, but it's like nature is just raising its hand saying, I, I want to help. And it's just, we have to sort of tune in and say, Hey, we, there's a partner that wants to help us here. Right. Well, look, you're, you're a 1992 gold medalist. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's safe to say that you can speak to what it takes, uh, you know, in the world of performance. And, and I believe that you can obviously speak in the world of what it takes to maintain that. And so as you're talking about being able to take a break, to be able to look at a leaf, can you say where, like, I, I think people have a, I think people have a bad relationship with performance and what it means. Uh, can you speak at all to to this idea of what, what you're talking about with regards to performance and and taking breaks? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm just going to sort of shift into the word of, you know, use start from the word energy, you know, and yeah. I think one of the things that I picked up, you know, from, you know, reading and listening and learning from people like uh, Jim Lair and Jack Grapple that really kind of transformed in the late 90s this idea of um i don't have enough time to maybe i'm not managing my energy very well it's not that you don't have the time to do the things you want to do but you don't have the capacity to do the things you want to do and i think when we start to look at energy as the factor in being better at more aware of energy in and energy out i think what we start to, to do and what i always did as an athlete what i figured out as an athlete was not the energy that I expend at top level, but how good can I be at replenishing energy when I'm resting or I'm recovering? And that doesn't have to be in between workouts. Like, I mean, that can be even while I'm paddling the river, 
there are things that I can do to sort of adjust the way that I expend energy that is almost like energy not used is energy replenished. And that is um, <clears throat> a very different way of looking at things. Now, head over to our Leadership to Wealth YouTube channel to get the full interview.